And the rest of you, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, grab your phone or something to be able to keep up as we turn to the Scriptures. You, you found a handful of things in your chair, I'm sure, this big calendar. would love for you to take that home, maybe put it on your refrigerator, keep you abreast on a handful of things happening this summer. Also, um, next Sunday I will preach and then begin my sabbatical this summer asking you to pray for me. And then on the back side you'll just find contact information. Antonio Munoz is going to serve as the interim lead pastor while I'm on sabbatical. But then we've listed the rest of our staff and all of our elders with all of their contact information. Of course, all of them stand ready to help you in any way that they can. So that's a bookmark. You can put it in your Bible so you know where it is this summer when you need some help. And then, of course, if this is your first time to Redeemer, you maybe found the, the contact card. I got the wrong one, a contact card. Please fill that out with as much information as you're willing to give us along with the prayer and praise card. That's for all of us. And as you head out this morning, there are two wooden giving boxes on the wall. You can place those right inside of there. All right. Last week, we began a look at what we're calling imminent graces. Something gets the title of imminent because it's famous and respected within a particular sphere or profession. It's illustrious. It's distinguished. <clears throat> and in the Christian life, there are three imminent graces or three imminent virtues. They are faith, love, and hope. We saw them last week in 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. Constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Faith, love, and hope. Paul writes about them in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And last week we focused on faith. It's that primary way that we relate to God. We believe in Him. We trust in Him. We have confidence in Him. We respond to God in faith. And we said that that faith can wane. Remember that. That's what Paul was afraid of for his Thessalonian friends. That they had put their faith in Jesus, and yet hardship had come their way, and he was afraid that the tempter will have tempted them to no longer believe that God is worthy to be trusted. No longer believe that God is worthy of our confidence. And in doing so, to give up, Paul was fearful that their faith would have disappeared or grown weak. But we also saw that faith not only can wane, but it can also enlarge. And we saw in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, that that's exactly what had happened. Paul's fears had not come true. They had remained faithful, and in fact, their faith had enlarged. And today, we're going to look at this second grace of love. You remember these three? 
faith, love, and hope, we said that they are all outgoing. Faith is in God. Love is toward one another and others. And hope is toward the future, in particular, the second coming of Jesus. And we said becoming a Christian reorients our lives. Born in sin, we are so self-centered, so self-protecting, so self-interested. And yet, by coming to faith in Jesus, we find ourselves drawn up towards God in faith, out towards others in love, and on towards the coming of Christ. And not only are they outgoing, but they are productive. Faith works. That's probably the idea here. Bearing in mind the work that was prompted by your faith and the labor inspired by your love and the steadfastness prompted by the hope you have in the coming of Jesus. And so again, a look at love. Of the three... Along with Paul, we must say that this is the most eminent. We might even say prominent. Prominence is a term in topography that refers to the elevation of a summit relative to its surrounding terrain. Back in 2018, I climbed Mount Rainier, and it is an incredibly prominent mountain. Compared to everything else around it, Mount Rainier just seems to pop up out of the ground. And of faith, hope, and love, Paul would say, the greatest of these is love. Indeed, Paul said in 1 Timothy, the goal of our instruction is love. Timothy, the goal of me teaching you about all that God is for us in Jesus and all that he has done and all that he calls us to and the goal for which you are to push in all of your teaching, the goal of it all is love. Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second's just like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's an important Christian virtue. I think we could say that love does. It's not merely a sentimental feeling that we have towards one another. But it does. Love is an action. It initiates for the good of others. To meet needs, to relieve burdens, to provide help, to speak life, to restore hope, to encourage, to lift up, to lend a hand. Love never stands still. It doesn't simply stand by with mere sentimentality. It moves towards another to, if you will, fill a gap. It resists urges to act in unloving ways. You remember 1 Corinthians 13 that love does not brag 
and is not arrogant. And so whenever that temptation flares up within us to brag or to be arrogant, to act in an unloving way, in that way, love says, no, 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 no. Love, Paul said, does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. Love does not take into account a wrong suffered. And so there's these things that bubble up from our sinful hearts where, and love says, no, no. It resists the urge to act in unloving ways and again moves towards others in life-giving ways. Again, love is not just a sentimental feeling. It shows up in actions towards others. This is what Paul's excited about in their love. He was thrilled that their faith showed itself in works, and he's now thrilled that their love shows itself in labor. Remember last week when we talked about the work prompted by faith, we talked about Paul, who was much concerned with faith and works. Right? He wanted to be crystal clear that you and I understand that we are not saved by our good works. We're not saved because we're better than anybody else. We're not even saved because we're better than we used to be. We are not saved by our good works. We are saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He said it. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. So Paul's crystal clear. You're not saved by your works, but by grace through faith. But then the very next verse. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So we're not saved by our works, but we're saved for good works. The root of our salvation is the grace of God and trusting in Jesus. The fruit of our salvation is good works. And we said that James would agree. James focusing in on those works that provide evidence of true faith. To James in the New Testament, if you said to him, I have faith in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, but it didn't show itself in a life of more and more good works, he would say, faith without works is dead. Now that's Paul and that's James on the work of faith. Listen to the apostle John on love. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 16 and following, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We know love because God felt it, because Christ said it. No, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. 
And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. Whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word and with tongue, but in deed and truth. The Apostle John says, love labors. It, it moves towards another. He goes on in 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the one who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he's not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. Paul would agree with John that love is meant to show itself Indeed, not merely in word. The word here, this labor of love, the word labor is kopas. And it refers either to the fatiguing nature of what is done or the magnitude of the exertion required. They loved. And the evidence was it was laboring, fatiguing nature, magnitude of exertion. It makes me think of Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22, I think it is, since you have in obedience to the truth purified yourselves for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Fervently. John Stott says a true love for people leads to labor for them. Otherwise, it degenerates into mere sentimentality. Another, the Thessalonians are making their Christian faith visible. The practice of their faith is evident for all to see. So I want to watch this little theme throughout 1 Thessalonians. We'll do it like this. So Paul, on his second missionary journey, I told this story last week, tell it again. On his second missionary journey, came into Thessalonica and he preached the gospel. And many, some, believed. In the midst of great opposition, they heard the gospel message and they said, yes, we want to follow Jesus Christ. Even though the opposition was really hard, even against them. The opposition got so hot after Paul had spent a number of weeks with them, teaching them about their new faith, Paul had to leave and get out of town. And he came to the next town south called Berea, and he preached the gospel and led many to faith, and they planted a little church there in Berea. But the opposition from Thessalonica made their way down to Berea, caused trouble, and Paul had to leave Berea and head further south, and he came to Athens. There in Athens, he saw all of the idols and all of the worship of these idols, but nobody's worshiping King Jesus. And so he preaches, and he leads some people to faith in Jesus, and he plants a church. While he's in Athens, though, his mind and his heart were on the Thessalonian believers. 
because he knew that they had trusted Christ in the midst of much opposition, and he can assume it hasn't been any easier since he left. And he's concerned about them. How are they doing? How's their faith? Has the tempter tempted them to give up? He says that he tried time and time again to head north and go back to see them, but he couldn't. He said, Satan thwarted us. And so there he is in Athens. He wants to get back and check on him, but he can't. We're not sure exactly why, but he says, I'll send Timothy. Timothy, go back north to Thessalonica, check in on them, see how they're doing. And so Timothy did. And Timothy spent some time with them. Then he came back south and met Paul, not in Athens, but Paul had moved further south to Corinth. And Timothy met him and, hey, Paul, they're doing good. They're doing good. Their faith, their love, their hope. And as a result of that, Paul writes this letter. And he writes, constantly bearing in mind the, your work of faith and your labor of love and your steadfastness of hope. He was enthused about their faith, love, and hope. And as he continued to write this letter over in chapter 3, we'll pick it up in verse 1 and get a running start. Therefore, when we could endure it no longer, we thought it best to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we've been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. For this reason, when I could endure it no longer, I also sent to find out about your faith for fear that the tempter might have tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always think kindly of us, longing to see us just as we also long to see you. For this reason, brethren, in all our distress and affliction, we were comforted about you through your faith. For now we really live if you stand firm in the Lord. And so in verse 9, he gives thanks. What thanks can we render to God for you in return for all the joy with which we rejoice before our God on your account? As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. This report from Timothy caused him much joy. Their faith is intact and their love is strong. And then he's going to pray for them in verse 11. Now may our God and Father himself and Jesus our Lord direct our way to you. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. Timothy's told me about your love, that it labors for the good of others. But I'm going to pray. My prayer is that your love will increase and abound for one another and for all people. And in chapter 4, he, he, he turns a corner, if you will. After telling them about his circumstances, he now is, begins to address some issues that they need to consider. In verses 1 to 8, about sexual immorality, but in verse 9, 
Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, excel still more. Or do this more and more. He's enthusiastic about the report. But he's praying for and urging for growth in love. Just like we did last week with faith, take a look at 2 Thessalonians. So just a couple pages over, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So he writes 1 Thessalonians, maybe it's Timothy, we're not sure, takes it up to Thessalonica and delivers 1 Thessalonians to the church. It's read to the church. Timothy spends some time, if indeed it was Timothy, this person spends some time with the church and then comes back to Corinth and gives Paul a, a report about the church and even has some more questions that Paul's going to need to answer. But look what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. We saw that last week. And the love of each one of you toward one another grows ever greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you. Just like faith can grow, so too can love. Is your love growing greater and greater? Is mine. Could it be said of me, hey Mitch, we heard, we heard about your love for others that, that shows itself in laboring for their good. We're going to pray that your love will increase and abound even more. And in fact, we urge you, Mitch, you already do love. You already practice it, but excel still more. And then a bit later, could that same person write and say, hey, Mitch, we heard your love has increased and grows ever greater. When I think about love as I have this week, and here we want to joyfully follow Jesus and help others do the same. That's good rain today. But we used to have a mission statement that went something like this. Our mission is to love God, our families, our church, our community, and the world, and help others do the same. It was a good mission, nothing wrong with it. It had as its main verb, love. Why? The goal of our instruction is love. What's the greatest commandment? Love God, love your neighbors yourself. Paul said, faith, hope, and love, these three abide, but the greatest of these is love. All right, let's love. Let's love God. Obviously, this is the first and foremost 
And we talk much about it, I'm sure. Went on a walk. I didn't plan on saying much about that because I'm not so sure that's what Paul has particularly in mind when he talks about their love. I went on my usual Sunday morning walk and prayer this morning. And I thought, well, if I was going to say anything about it, what might I say? And in particular, as I think about my own love for God, how does it show itself? I mean, how does it go beyond sentimental feelings I might have about God or affections that I do have for God? How does it labor? And I thought, well, maybe at least in two ways that our love for God can really show itself in something beyond a feeling we might have for Him. Number one, I think, might be praise. Right? And we don't praise God because He has a need or a lack or, or God's having a bad day, and so it would be nice of us to come alongside and encourage Him a little bit. That's not it at all. But it is just acknowledging, God, you are great. You are so kind towards me. You are so full of mercy towards a sinner like me. You are a God of compassion and grace. And God, you are a God of wisdom. You know exactly what you're doing. You're a God of power. You can get it done. And God, sometimes I don't understand it. And, but, but I'm going to trust you because I believe that you are good and you are wise and that you're working out your purposes in exactly a way that if I knew what you knew, I'd go, thumbs up. You're great. You're a God of love. You're a God of holiness, right? Maybe that's a way that our love can show itself as we praise him. Another, of course, is trusting his word and obeying, right? Whenever we trust God's word, we show that we believe him to be good and we believe him to be wise and we believe him to have the very best for his children in mind. And so when we trust and obey, we show our love. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them he it is who loves me. But beyond our love for God, we want to love our families. Husbands, you know the call of God upon you and me. Ephesians chapter 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Husbands, do you love your wife? Well, sure, Mitch, you know I do. And she knows it too. Remember, love is an action. Love does. Love encourages. Love meets a need. Love serves. Love comes alongside. Love helps. Love speaks life. Love does. It, it, it doesn't merely sit and stand still with some sort of feeling of love or even the words, I love you. God did not simply scream from heaven, I love you. And his son Jesus didn't say, yeah, me too. 
Christ loved us and gave himself for us. Ladies, you may know this, but Paul writes to Titus. And in Titus, he tells, hey, Titus, teach the older women to teach the younger women to love their husbands and love their children. Husbands, do you love your wives? Wives, do you love your husbands? Not just some feeling, but moving toward in action that comes along to be life-giving and a blessing. And children, you are to love your parents and your brothers and sisters. So let's love our God and let's love our family and then let's love our church. This seems to be foremost in Paul's mind, though it's not the only thing. We'll get there. But Paul is, is praying that you may increase and abound in love for one another. Now as to the love of the brethren... You yourselves are taught by God to love one another, for indeed you do practice it toward all the brethren. Excel still more. I've quoted it for years. It's kind of fun. To live above with saints we love, all oh, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, now that's a different story. But look around. We are commanded by the God of heaven and earth to love one another, church family. One of the ways the New Testament talks about us is that we are a body. Some of us are eyes, others of us ears, some of us fingers, some of us toes. We're all individual members that make up one body, Christ being the head. And it's a helpful image. That we all need one another. The eye can't say to the toe, I have no need of you. And the toe can't say to the eye, I don't have any need of you. We all need each other. But another image, maybe it's the foremost, I don't know. I haven't looked at it that close. We're not merely a body, we're a family. God is our father. Christ is our older brother. And all of us are brothers and sisters in the Lord. So how are we meant to relate to one another? Coldness? Warmth. Unloving? No. Love. Maybe the best way to press into this is the one another's. If you're not familiar with the New Testament, that phrase is used over and over and over and over and over again by all the authors of the New Testament about how God's people, God's family, are to relate to one another. And here's just a few of them. We are to love one another. We're to be kind to one another. We are to encourage one another, be humble toward one another, greet one another, 
forgive one another, accept one another, live in harmony with one another, bear with one another, care for one another, serve one another. And it goes on and on and on and on. We are to love one another in the body of Christ. So we love God. We love our family. We love our church. And then we love our community. Look again in chapter 3, verse 12. In his prayer, may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. Let's love one another and everybody else. In our language, we would say this is your circle. The men, women, young and old that are far from God in your circle, where you live, where you work, where you study and where you play. Where you live is no accident. God sent you there and surrounding you are people far from God and you're to love them. And where you work is no accident. There are people there surrounding you who are far from God and you are called to love them. And students, where you study, where you go to school, in those classrooms and on those extracurricular activities, you're surrounded by young men and young women who do not know God. They're far from God. And, and it's no accident. You're there and you are to love them. And where you might play, maybe the gym or something like that, there are people there far from God. And you are to love them. Love them, serve them, pray for them, care for them, bear their burdens, and tell them about Jesus. I was reminded a couple weeks ago about the great, I don't know how to pronounce it, the Lausanne Covenant. Put together decades ago, the leader of it was John Stott, along with Billy Graham. It was a conference that got together with evangelical Christians the world over, leaders who came together in Lausanne. I think it was Switzerland. Am I right there? No? Maybe? Yes, very good. And what they were doing was bringing together evangelical Christians of all stripes, Christians who believe that God is Trinity, who believe that the Bible is the word of God, who believe that we are created in the image of God but fallen in sin, who believe that Jesus is the Son of God who lived and died and rose again and is coming back, who believe that the gospel is the only way to God and it is to be proclaimed to the ends of the earth. Believers, Baptist and Presbyterian and Lutheran and the like, coming together to say, what do we do? about world evangelization. And their, the covenant begins like this. The purpose of God. We affirm our belief in the one eternal God, creator and Lord of the world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who governs all things according to the purpose of his will. He has been calling out from the world a people for himself and sending his people back into the world to be his servants and his witnesses. For the extension of his kingdom, the building up of Christ's body and the glory of his name. 
We confess with shame that we have often denied our calling and failed in our mission by becoming conformed to the world and by withdrawing from it. Yet we rejoice that even when borne by earthen vessels, the gospel is still a precious treasure. To the task of making that treasure known in the power of the Holy Spirit, we desire to dedicate ourselves anew. That's strong. And may our love increase and abound in love for one another and for all people. And then finally, we would say, let's love the world, even to the ends of the earth, by praying for the unreached and unengaged peoples, by giving to missionaries that go, and possibly even going ourselves. So last week, we saw that our faith can enlarge, and I encouraged us. Let's grow in our faith this summer, and today we see that our love can increase greater and greater. Let's grow in our love this summer. And here's a couple thoughts, maybe, on how we can do that. The first is just like we said last week, we keep coming and gathering as the people of God, as the family of God, because here we get to express our love for one another, and we get to praise our God and hear from his word and be challenged and encouraged and drawn to the scriptures and what God is calling us to be and do together. It builds us up, encourages us to keep on going and to have those daily quiet times where we sit at the feet of our great heavenly father who loves us and we drink in his wisdom and his truth and the like. Beyond that though, friends, maybe we need to reflect upon the gospel more and more. If you need your heart warmed to love your spouse, warmed to love your brothers and sisters, warmed to love that neighbor, reflect on the gospel. Because the good news that has come your way and mine, if you know Jesus Christ, was born of the love of God. He loved you and me when we did not deserve it at all. We were sinners, rebels, enemies, deserving of his eternal judgment. There was nothing in us that prompts him to love us. And yet he did and does and will forevermore. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His love did not stop at a bubbling over sentimental thing he had for you and me. It, boom, I'm going to give my son for you. Romans 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates his love. He doesn't just say it. 
In 1 John 4, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. He loved us and sent Christ to die in our place and for our sins, to take the wrath of God meant for us in upon himself. Ephesians 2, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. You've heard me say it before, maybe. He could have written, but God being merciful. But he didn't. He said, but God being rich in mercy. And he could have said, because of his love with which he loved us, but he didn't. He said, because of his great love, with which he loved us. In the Greek, it's mega love. Because of his mega love with which he loved us. Why did he love us? Deuteronomy 7, why did God choose Israel to be his people? The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any of the other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples, but because the Lord loved you. And kept the oath which he swore to your forefathers. God, why did you love Israel? Because I loved them. We, yeah. Was it because they were the biggest? No, in fact, they were smallest. Was it because? No, I, I loved them. Yeah, but sure, no. They had nothing to do with them. They had everything to do with me. Friends, God, if, if you are one of God's children having trusted in Jesus Christ for salvation. What that means is that God set his love upon you in eternity past. And it had nothing to do with anything he foreknew about you. He, of his own sovereign pleasure, decided to love you. Did you earn it? Nope. Did you deserve it? Nope. He just loved you. And in due time proved it. God demonstrates his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And then in due time, according to his pleasure, the Holy Spirit began to work in your life and you came to a place where Christ was irresistible. Maybe you'd said no to the gospel a hundred times, but all of a sudden... Boom. Yes, I want Jesus. I want his forgiveness and I want his help. You trusted in Jesus. And the Spirit of God was given to you. And Paul says in Romans 5, through the, the love of God was poured out within you. And then he goes on in Romans 8 and says, and guess what? Nothing Ever is going to separate you from what? The love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Point being, God has loved you, still does, and will forevermore. Who are you and I to be unloving to anyone? Ephesians 5, therefore be imitators of God as beloved 
children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. God is our father. You are his children whom he loves like father, like children. He love, you love. Walk in love. He so loved us when we were unlovable. How can we not at least go to war with our temptations to be unloving and say, that's not right. If God so loved a sinner like me, then I can love him. I can love her. I can initiate with him, with her. So ponder the great love of God. We sing, oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. We are born of the love of God. And it is to be the distinguishing mark of the child of God. So let us go and love. Who might you love today? Meaning, in an actionable way. Maybe it's one of your children. But out of a, a loving heart, you're going to initiate some time with them that maybe you haven't done in a while. Hey, baby, you want to go outside and throw the ball? Hey, you want to go get some ice cream? Hey, right? Maybe it's to sit down and visit with your spouse. Maybe... It's to write an encouraging text or an email to a friend. Maybe it's to see that neighbor outside across the street and just go say hello for a few minutes. Love does. Love moves towards others for their good. Let's pray. Father, we glory in your great love. We have just heard of it. You bubble over with love. You have been doing so before the world was. Father, Son, and Spirit delighting in one another, loving one another from before all time. You created the world and created us that you might share that love with us. And for reasons only you know. You chose us and loved us before the foundation of the world. You called us away from our sin that we might believe in Jesus and be forgiven. And you put the Holy Spirit in us and poured out your love within us. And you have bound yourself to keep us through any threat. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you so overwhelm us with your love? And reflecting on it and pondering on it, that it would lead us to be men and women more and more who love one another and all. 
And Father, if there's any here who've never put their trust in Jesus Christ, they've never understood your great love towards sinners. But now maybe they do. Maybe they've heard today that you loved us so much that you sent your son Jesus to die upon a cross to pay the penalty for our sins and you raised him from the dead and he's alive. And forgiveness is found in him and help is found in him and eternal life is found in him. And one day he's going to come back and make all things new. And so, Lord, maybe you would open the eyes of their heart now to see the beauty of Jesus and they would put their trust and hope in him. We pray for that. In Jesus' name, amen.